The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning uh, to all of you here and those joining via live stream. It's a privilege to be able to uh, gather together on this special Friday chapel to open the word, to share some thoughts with you uh, as part of this ongoing series in this new academic year. Um, Welcome also to our guests and uh, prospective students and your families as you're here today. Uh, Trust that you'll get to know us in an up close and personal way. up close and personal, six feet or so, uh, but up close and personal, we're really glad to have you here in the midst of everything that's going on, to have you here taking a look at Cairn University. We've been praying for you, we'll continue to pray for you, uh, and for our students and faculty and staff as we uh, press on in this academic year and deeper into this semester, we're praying for you as well and trust everyone will have a great weekend. This morning, I want to continue uh, with this series for the semester, taking one another seriously, being intentional about biblical community. Just a little bit of review, because I haven't uh, been here in chapel since Convocation Chapel at the beginning of the year, wanted to focus on uh, passage of Scripture, particularly dealing with our relationship to one another as believers, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Given the context in which we find ourselves, the social and cultural issues that we're dealing with, the division that exists within the body of Christ, uh, and everything from social issues to political issues to dealing with the pandemic, The strain that is upon us in our relations one with another is real, it's profound, it's being talked about in a lot of different places, and we did not want to be negligent in addressing it here. But I want us to be thinking this year about what it means to navigate those relational waters in a way that is distinctly, intentionally, and explicitly biblical. And so in this year, I want to talk about what it means to take one another and the one another passages in the Bible seriously in an attempt to be intentional about biblical community, to not take it too lightly, to not assume things or not simply drift along or plod along, but to actually walk with purpose. That is our way as Christians and it should be manifest in our relationships with one another. At the beginning of the year and in convocation, we focus on chapter two of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi those Christians that were under a great deal of strain for whom life was not easy. We focus particularly on the second chapter where Paul exhorts his readers to have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus, that we would look to one another and see one another as more significant than ourselves and attend not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. To have the humility of Christ, that means that we care for, not just attitudinally, but experientially care for one another. And so this morning what I want to do is focus our attention on the passages that were read by Dean Porcello on this idea of loving one another. And if I was going to entitle the message something today, I would say that today's message is loving one another. It is not optional. It's not an option for Christians to love one another. In the passage that Adam read, it's pretty clear that the Lord expects it of us. In fact, it's pretty clear the Lord commands us to do it. And so I want to pick through that a little bit this morning to underscore the importance of our being intentional in our life together, in our lives and relationships with one another with regard to this idea of loving one another. What is our obligation to one another in this way? What should it look like? And so I want to look at some passages in 1 John. I want to refer back to John's experience with Jesus in the upper room in the 13th chapter of his own gospel 
And just think about what this means for us in the here and now. You know, this idea about these one another passages is something that I remember when I was uh, younger and being discipled as a young adult and teenager, uh, hearing messages on the one another passages. And I remember thinking, yeah, this is great. You know, Christians are supposed to uh, uh, love one another, to forgive one another, to exhort one another, to encourage one another. But it's really only when the strain from within and without is upon us that we realize, one, how significant those things are, and two, how difficult those things are. When we think about the one another exhortations or commands in the New Testament, we should not take them lightly. They're not always easy to live out. I think they're often hard to hear and to read, but they're not suggestions. You know, we live in a world that actually, uh, because of the struggle that, that the world around us has with the idea of truth and, and proposition and, and, and authority, that somehow uh, everything is relegated to a suggestion, to a mere something you should think about. But the Bible doesn't really speak that way. The apostles don't speak to the early church that way. Jesus didn't talk to his followers that way or to the people that he engaged with. There's force and authority, loving force and authority behind the words of Jesus and behind the words of the apostle and in the pages of Scripture. And so these are hard to hear and to read, but they're not suggestions. And when we come to the Bible, and particularly looking at these one another passages, I think it's important for us to, to think about that. This is not a suggestion about loving one another. It's an exhortation that is tied to a command. And that should make us sit up straight in our chairs as followers of Jesus Christ. We should be uh, uh, perked up and piqued in terms of our interest to think about what the Scripture is saying and what the Lord expects. And in the passage that was read, it's a very familiar one. I remember singing choruses built upon this passage when I was a young per younger person. I remember reading and memorizing this passage very early in my Christian walk. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Very familiar passage. But in this passage is also something that's really important for us to grasp with regard to what is being asked of us, but almost more importantly, why and how. When I look at the division that exists in the world in which we find ourselves and that division either coming forth from or spilling over into the church, into the body of Christ, the kind of visceral division that exists between us, the, the kind of apprehension that exists between us, the kind of distance that exists between us, which is only being exacerbated by the requirements around physical distance. There's a tendency to not think about why and how we are to love one another. But this passage in 1 John is pretty clear. We love one another not to please each other or impress each other or leverage one another. We love one another not to impress the world or demonstrate how good we are inherently. We love one another because God loves us and because anything less than that is not befitting him and his nature. 
if we just stop for a minute to think about that construct, that we are not loving one another to get something. We're not loving one another to simply make someone else feel better, to please one another, not even in the terms of gratifying one another emotionally, but to do something that will make you feel better about yourself. That's not why we love. The world will tell us that. Look, show love to someone. If you smile at someone, they'll smile back. Everybody's happier. Love someone and then watch how much you brighten their day. Actually, there's more weight behind this. There's weight of a significance, an eternal significance, that we don't love each other simply to please one another or to impress one another, show how spiritual we are, how mature we are. The love that the Bible talks about, this agape love, this God love, this love that is separate from our circumstances and separate from our feelings, is to be shown to one another not to impress each other, or to leverage one another, or to show how much we, we, we uh, are willing to please one another. It's actually an outworking of our faith. We don't do it so that, that others will look on us favorably. We do it because God loves us, and anything less than loving one another is not befitting him and his nature. It's what John is saying here in 1 John. You know, when I was a student here, I, I took... Uh, Greek 2, New Testament Greek exegesis. It always was ironic to me that we used 1 John, I think because the Greek is easy, but the theology is not. What John is talking about several times over here throughout the course of this is this link between our faith and our attitudes, our faith and our actions. And what he is saying is we don't love one another for those shallow reasons that the world might love one another. We love one another because God has loved us apart from circumstance. And so as we get more mature and we're more committed to the Lord, that love for one another should be even more and more profound, more and more expressed, more and more manifest, more and more evident. We love one another because of who God is and what he has done for us. That's very different than the kinds of transactional love that exists in the culture around us. You know, if I'm just nicer to someone, they'll be nicer to me. If I show love to them, maybe they'll love me. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying, do you know that you are the recipient of love beyond measure? Love that was so great that God gave his only son as the propitiation, the payment for our sin, to secure for us forgiveness and redemption and the promise of eternal life. That love poured out on you has changed you in every way. God has loved you in that way, and therefore, as a result of being the recipient of that kind of love, it should spill out of you that you love one another. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, it's interesting to think about the implications of that. If you flip just back over a page or so, you'll see John, this disciple whom Jesus loved, this son of thunder, saying this in chapter 2, verse 9, as he is developing this theme prior to the passage that we read. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John is actually not saying here that the way to get to God is to love one another. He's saying that if you are with God, we will see you loving one another, and therefore, reverse engineer it, if you're not loving one another, something's amiss in your relationship with God. It's very clear that hate and hatefulness, and John uses the the example of Cain in this letter. Hate and hatefulness are not appropriate. They're not befitting Christians. We don't have the right, we don't have the room to hate others. 
for any reason, for their political views, for their national origin, for the color of their skin. It is not the Christian way to hate or to be hateful. Hate and hatefulness, but also, listen, but also disparagement, dismissal, or disdain are not our way. They're not the marks of Christian love. They're not the outworking of our faith in Christ, but as John suggests here, rather they're an outworking of the lack of faith in Christ. When we look at our lives with one another, when we look at Christian community, and we do not see that love being manifest, we, we are not experiencing it together, we're hesitant to do it, or we see these other things of hate and hatefulness, disparagement, despair, uh, d- disdain and dismissal, all of those kinds of things, we see those things present. We should not say, well, you know, the problem is we just need to love harder. No, no, there needs to be an examination of ourselves that something's amiss in our faith. Because what John is saying here under the power of the Holy Spirit is if we're right with God and we're in the light, these things do not cause us to stumble. That's what makes these one another passages so confronting and so difficult, in my opinion, to read and to hear. He's not giving a platitude that says, oh, Christians are great, they love one another. He's actually saying, listen, Christian, measure your faith by this. Do you love one another? Do you love? And that's a hard thing. It's the kind of self-examination that Paul calls his readers to, uh, that we would examine ourselves, that we would be honest with ourselves before God and one another. And in this dimension of our life together, of loving one another, it's important. He also spells out in this letter to Christians, which was probably circulated amongst various groups, some things about the, the things we are to love and the things we are not to love. And in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. How disturbing it is that we as Christians often have an easier time loving the world, the things of the world, or even our own enemies, than we do loving our brothers and sisters who are accounted among the ransomed and redeemed of Jesus. Over the course of my Christian life, I can't tell you the number of times a Christian has said to me, you know, I just have... I just have a hard time with Christians. I find it much easier to love the world than to love Christians. They're just, they're just, they're just obnoxious. They're not, I, don't really, I don't really enjoy it. I'd much rather be with the world. It's a breakdown in our fundamental understanding of something that when we have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life, we become one with one another through the reconciling that takes place through Jesus Christ and the bond that is ours in the spirit. Whether you feel akin to one another, whether you feel oneness with one another, whether you feel unity or you feel love, this is scripture reality. We are one. We are his body and his bride. And the obligation then is not for us to say, well, I'd rather be with the world. I'd rather love the world and the things of the world. I'd rather actually ask myself, how much like the world can I be and how much comfort can I have with the world and still be Christian? That's not what John is saying here. All in in our relationships with one another. Because we are one. We are the body. We are the redeemed ones of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us. And so when we think about this, it should disturb us if we find ourselves saying, I have much easier time with the world than I do with the church. Much easier time with the world and the things of the world than I do with Christians. This is a problem for us, I think largely because we've been saturated by the cultural sensibilities around us. 
We've been confused about the idea of love as Christians for, for far too long, I think. We, we live in a world where, where emotion and preference and passion rule the day. Those things are fine. We're made as emotional beings. We're, we have passions and we have preferences. The dilemma is we get our wires crossed and we start thinking that passion and interest and preference and all of those things that the world say define love actually are what God means by agape love, and it isn't. In fact, what we're supposed to do is love one another because God has loved us. And if we say, well, you know, look, I, 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 I've had Christians in my life, you probably have had too, say, you know, I may have to love you, but I don't have to like you. And I, I, don't, I don't really like Christians. I know I have to love them. Um, and the idea, what is that? Well, that's saying, look, I don't have any emotional connection. I don't feel anything for you. And I'm not really passionate about our relationship with one another. But, you know, I'm obligated to love you, so I say I love you because I'm a Christian and that's what we do. And the Bible would say that there's a problem with that because saying we love is not the same as loving. And feeling we love is not enough. The marks of Christian love are clear enough in the Bible. Deference, respect, Concern, empathy, exhortation, edification, even sacrifice. They should be the orders of the day. How do we know that? Because that's what was manifest in Jesus' love to us. These are the things that we should be looking for. Not how we feel towards one another, but how we think and behave towards one another is an outworking of God's love in us. If we're simply going to say that we love one another or we're simply going to lean on how we feel about one another, we're in trouble. Saying we love one another is not loving one another. Feeling we love one another is not nearly enough. Particularly in a world that's driven by the immediate and the individual experience and our emotions. It's not sufficient for us as Christians. This is a very different kind of love. Just think for a minute what it would be like if, if we applied the standard that we are, are using to determine our love for our brothers and sisters. If God applied that to us. I don't know that all of us could say we would be likable enough to God for him to redeem us the way his love is pure and without concern for the circumstance or the, the, his preferences. and those, He loves in the purest sense and that love was made known to us and he expects us to turn around and to love one another. I think this is imperative in our relationships with one another and the divisions that exist among us as followers of Jesus Christ, that we remember that this isn't about our emotions or our feelings. This is about something deeper and more substantive than that. All of us who have dealt with relationships and have thought about them understand this. God doesn't want us to be infatuated with him or with one another. He wants us to love one another in a way that isn't built upon circumstances or emotional preferences and likings. It's something more deep than that, something more abiding than that. My final thought this morning is related to this idea that in learning to love one another as the Scripture teaches, because that's really what this is about, in learning to love one another as the Scripture teaches, we must break free from the bonds of either being ruled by our passions or being isolated by our apathy. Christian love is born of the gospel, and it's an act of submission to God and is to conform to his standards and not the cultural standards of the world in which we find ourselves. That's a hard reality for us, but it's the passage that 
Adam read in conclusion that spills over into chapter 5. The end of chapter 4, he says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And here we go. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. The scripture is clear that this idea of loving God and therefore loving one another in the right way should not be bound by our emotions and our passions. It should be set free from our our aloofness and apathy and isolation because it's an outworking of the gospel. And it is an act of submission to God who says, you want to show that you love me? Obey my commandments. And this is a new commandment, Jesus says, I give you in John 13, that you love one another. God expects this from us. And so when the culture around us is relegating everything to a suggestion, everything to a whim of your emotions and passions and how you're feeling and where your passions direct and where your drive is, for us as Christians, we must step back and say, our heart is not to be trusted. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The world, the flesh, and the devil are not to be trusted. Where then does our faith reside? In the person and work of Jesus and the holy word of God. And that says, in an act of submission to the almighty God, we love one another because he has loved us. It's not an option for the Christian. And it should be manifested in the way we judge and evaluate one another, the way we think about one another, the way we act toward one another, the way we care for one another. All of it is built on this idea that Everyone who loves is born of God, and we must love everyone who is born of God. If we believe in Jesus, we are born of God. We must love those who are born of God, and we show that we are born of God by loving one another. And by this, the whole world will know that we are his disciples. It's not about proving that we're winsome to the world. It's about showing them that our love is not based upon circumstance, emotion, passion, or preference. Then they will sit up straight and say, there's something different about the followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time together in it. We pray for the university community and for your church that you would impress upon us the truth that we are of one body, that we are your children, that we have been made alive in and through your son Jesus and his sacrificial work upon the cross, secured by his glorious resurrection, and that you unify us through the bond of peace in the spirit which indwells all of us. Father, make these truths to be real to us in a way that changes the way we view one another, judge and evaluate one another, treat one another, care for one another. Father, give us the grace to love one another as you command and as you expect. And in so doing, may you be glorified and may others be drawn to you. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Have a great day. Thank you.